Hey there, all you hip cats, cool kittens, you guys and dolls, you diesel-powered disciples of cool. This is Tales from the Flipside on the Diesel Punk Podcast, and I am your host, the comic book-loving, time-traveling, diesel punk prophet of pop culture, the artist also known as Big Daddy Cool, John Pika. You can call me Johnny. And on this episode, we're going to talk about movies that you didn't know were diesel punk and why the diesel punk timeline doesn't matter. Before we do that, we want to thank returning sponsor Vault, V-A-L-T. V-A-L-T Vault specializes in sexy password recovery. Let's face it, guys. Passwords sometimes can be a pretty big hassle. How many times have you forgotten a password or typed in the wrong thing, locked yourself out of an account, yada, yada, yada. Happens to me almost on a daily basis. And Vault is here to help. They are a visual password manager. They capture all of your existing passwords and lock them in a vault guarded with NSA-approved encryption. I mean, how cool is that? And they protect that vault behind a series and set of memorable images that only you know. Vault trains you to use and to recognize those images using proven techniques from psychology and cognitive science. And here's the cool thing. For all this sexiness, you can register as one of our listeners to win a $100 gift card. All you've got to do is go to vault.io slash tails. That's V-A-L-T dot I-O slash tails, T-A-L-E-S, vault.io slash tails, and register to win a $100 gift card. And uh, we love our sponsors. Make sure you check them out vault.io slash tails. All right, well, guys and gals, let's jump right into it. We want to talk about diesel punk movies that you didn't know were diesel punk. And this conversation is really inspired by some conversations online at the Diesel Punk's Facebook forum. And... You know, we've been talking a lot about The Shape of Water, and I believe it is a movie that qualifies as diesel punk, strictly because of the aesthetics. Yes, it's set in the 60s, and yes, there are some cars and some of the suits and and whatnot that are directly from the 60s, but the over overwhelming aesthetics in the movie, from the movie theater to the laboratory to the clothing that's worn by most of the people in the movie, um, to the hotel room, the diner. It's overwhelmingly diesel-era aesthetic. So I I consider Shape of Water a, a diesel-punk movie. And congratulations, by the way, to Guillermo del Toro. He won the Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Director, and, um, excuse me, and I believe best score. Well, well done 
and diesel punk has arrived in Hollywood. But, you know, this conversation spun off and, you know, a lot of people are taking me to task for calling it a diesel punk movie. And one of the uh, conversations came up, excuse me, I'm going to treat myself to a cool beverage. One moment. Nice cold Coca-Cola. They are not a sponsor, but I love them. So this conversation came up on uh, the Diesel Punks forum or or Facebook group. Uh, Someone posted that they were re-watching Atlantis, the Disney Disney animated film, and commenting about how Diesel Punk it seems. And I I responded that it's absolutely a diesel punk movie. Now, I know a lot of a lot of our steampunk friends also claim this because of the year it was set and some of the crossover technology. The movie is an animated film and it follows the adventures of Milo who, uh, what, what is Milo's last name? Um, hmm. Michael J. Fox plays Milo. Anyway, Milo is uh, leading a team to find the lost city or lost continent of Atlantis. It is set in 1914, and... Um, it also stars Cree Summer, James Garner, Leonard Nimoy, Don Novello, Phil Morris, Claudia Christian, Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Obradors, and Jim Varney in his final role before his death. You remember Ernest. Anyway, it's set in 1914, and the visual aesthetics of this thing the visuals were designed by one of us, one of the people in the diesel punk community, and that's Mike Mignola. And Mike Mignola is best well-known as the creator of Hellboy. Uh, he did Gotham by Gaslight. And uh, just his mark visually in geek culture is indelible. And he did all of the character designs and visual designs for Atlantis. And he he went more towards the diesel era of the timeline or the diesel style of the timeline. 1914 in the timeline is the official start of the diesel era for most of us. But... Um, But it is definitely one of those diesel punk movies that you didn't know was diesel punk. And so it started me thinking about other movies that might fit into the same category. (coughs) We've, uh, on this show, we've talked about Wonder Woman, the Gal Gadot motion picture that came out last year. And uh, it is, I believe, right now, number five top-grossing movies of uh, 2017, set in World War II, or World War I, rather, in the heart of World War I, and, uh, 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 you know, visually aesthetics, 
the aesthetics are definitely the Jazz Age, World War One aesthetics. And um, what makes it diesel punk, though? Same thing that, that Atlantis does. So, you know, you could say, okay, so it's set in the 19... You know, 1914, it's set in World War One. How does that make it diesel punk? Well, it's they're both super st- steeped in science fiction and fantasy. And you've got this countercultural, you know, push against the status quo element to the stories. In the case of Atlantis, you know, um, the adventurer spirit and then the... Uh, the daughter of the uh, high priest has to thwart his, you know, evil schemes. Anyway, but the main thing is the science fiction and fantasy for me. So you got Wonder Woman, and then you got Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. We've talked about that a lot, but, you know, those are both two relatively new movies, Wonder Woman and Fantastic Beasts, that may not have made a lot of people's lists yet. But uh, Fantastic Beasts, set in the 1920s, New York City, it uh, has magic, so there's your your science fiction and fantasy, it deals with the magical world of Harry Potter, basically, and um, visually stunning, just perfect, and uh, the, the the, the double lapel vest that... Uh, that uh, Colin, uh, why can I never remember his last name? Anyway, the double lapel vest that he wears, I, I got to have it. But, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's solidly, in my opinion, a diesel punk film. And then there are a few others that maybe you've never thought of. Like, you know, it, you know we talked about Atlantis. Well, let's talk about some other animated films also from Disney that have a diesel punk aesthetic and that I would submit are straight up diesel punk. The Princess and the Frog. And this came out in 2009. It is a, an adaptation of the uh, the classic fairy tale Princess and the Frog uh, it was the 49th Disney animated film, and um, you know it's the Brothers Grimm fairy tale, The Frog Prince. That's that's what it was, um, and uh, it is set in 1920s New Orleans, and tells the story of a hardworking waitress named Tiana, who dreams of owning her own restaurant, and after kissing a prince who has been turned into a frog. By an evil voodoo sorcerer, Tiana becomes a frog herself and must find a way to turn them back into human before it's too late. And um, if that doesn't scream diesel punk, I don't know what does. That's fantasy, science fiction, magic, voodoo, set in 1920s New Orleans. You got the music, you got the jazz, you got the, the clothing, the style. It is a straight-up diesel punk animated musical adventure. Then this one kind of took me by surprise. It shouldn't. I, I I had just never thought of it as a diesel punk movie before, but that is another Disney movie 
101 Dalmatians. And this is a 1961 film. I can't believe that it came out in '61. Uh, it's based on a book that came out in 1956. So right off the bat, all of the visual aesthetics are going to be diesel era aesthetics. Even though it was made in 61, you know that the production on it didn't begin for at least three or four years prior to that, and maybe longer. And based on a 1956 book, it's going to have overwhelmingly those aesthetics. And if you need any other proof, all you need to do is look at Cruella DeVille, her car, which is epic. Cruella DeVille may be one of the all-time greatest villains in film history. And, um, you know, just a, just a great, just a great, great story. And, and how is it science fiction and fantasy? Well, you know, it kind of borders on the edge there. I mean, it doesn't have those, those overtones that the other movies I mentioned do, but come on, a, a demented rich woman bent on capturing all of the Dalmatians and turning them into fur coats and collecting 101 puppies? If that's not punk in and of itself, I don't know what is. I mean, that's a fantasy inside her own head. Kind of the same way that, you know, we look at A Christmas Story and the musical Chicago as fantasies. You know, they're fantasies that take place inside the character's head. So, uh, 101 Dalmatians. Go watch it this weekend and uh, see if you agree. Now, I can't speak to the 1996 live-action film. I've not seen that, actually. But the animated original from 1961 is a... I believe is a straight-up diesel punk movie. Then, let's see. A couple of obvious ones, but maybe... You had never thought of it before. The Iron Giant. This is one of my all-time favorite movies, by the way. Again, another animated film set in 1957. And the entire movie hinges on the launch of Sputnik. So, when we look at the diesel punk timeline, it is pretty widely accepted now that the timeline ends with 1957 and the launch of Sputnik. And that's where we see the real cultural shift. And so, I, you know, I, I kind of call the Iron Giant the, the punctuation mark of the diesel era in film. Uh, if we were to look at the timeline, you got the Iron Giant and Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is set in 57 as well. And The Iron Giant is an animated film. It's about this giant robot from outer space who crash lands on Earth. He He's damaged, so his programming doesn't take effect. And basically, he decides that he doesn't want to be a bad guy. He doesn't want to be an alien invader. He wants to be Superman as he says. He wants to be a good guy and do good. And he befriends a little boy, Hogarth, and Hogarth 
helps him. Uh, and I believe Jack is the character played by uh, Harry Connick Jr. You know, they they help protect the Iron Giant. And, uh, you know, at the end, it's a, it's a conflict between the Iron Giant and the U.S. military. But and the giant reverts to his, you know, uber killer ways. But at the end comes to his senses because Hogarth is in danger and he sacrifices himself to save humanity. It's a phenomenal movie. Animation is spectacular. It's by Don Bluth Studios, the same folks who did um, An American Tale, and they did um, the movie, uh, the video game Space Ace and Dragon's Lair, and um, good, good, good stuff. So uh, The Iron Giant. And then my last one, Diesel Punk Films, that you didn't realize were Diesel Punk, is... Peter Jackson's King Kong. And I think this is actually on my top five diesel punk movie list. I'll have to go back and listen to the episode. But, uh, you know, set in the 30s, uh, they're hunting this giant gorilla on a secret island, uncharted island. It doesn't get any more fantastical than that. I mean, what is more sci-fi and fantasy than giant gorillas and dinosaurs still existing in the 1930s. Not only is it a, a great visual treat for the aesthetics, and, and let me tell you what, they were tack perfect with the costumes, with the music, with the setting, with the cinematography. Everything was beautiful in this movie. And by the way, I don't support remakes in general unless they can be better than the original. And I got to tell you, I honestly believe that Peter Jackson's remake was an improvement on the original. It is a spectacular movie, and Jack Black, I believe, is in his finest role. He basically plays Orson Welles and um, does a phenomenal job. Uh, great, great movie that you didn't realize was diesel punk. Now, all of that having been said, the diesel punk timeline really doesn't matter. And here's what I mean by that. You know, in the diesel punk community, we look for a couple of things to be, you know, present. Uh, you know, it's got to have science fiction and fantasy you know, or alt history, or alternate technology, future technology, magic, occult, something of that nature that, that makes it not a period piece, turns it on its head. It's got to have, you know, the aesthetics of the era, the, the look, style, feel of the era, and we'll talk about that in a minute, what that era timeline is, and it's got to have punk, counterculturalism, or a push against the status quo, or a celebration of the anti-hero. You know, something that is um, is countercultural. I, I guess is I mean I don't know what how else to explain it. You know, it's like uh, you know in Kelly's Heroes, you've got these bad guys who end up doing the right thing for the wrong reason. That's the celebration of the anti-hero and. Uh, you know, in um, let me think. What what the okay? Um, in 
in uh, the movie Captain America, you've got Captain America fighting against a tyrannical uh, regime in in Nazi Germany, and and in most diesel punk movies, well, Inglorious Bastards is the same way. Uh, Nazi Germany is the big bad. It's the easy way to go. You know, you've got this tyrannical government spreading across the globe, and at one point, the rest of the world was really the resistance against it. And um, so that's a common theme. So, you know, that that push against the status quo or, or you know, a, a hero who's trying to uh, escape oppression, like in Dark City or in Sucker Punch. But I'm going to submit to you that the era doesn't really matter. The timeline, the dates don't really matter. The The timeline that diesel punks look at to define their genre is, like I said, 1914. And depending on who it is, you know, they might push it later to 1917, 1918. You know, we're looking at the sinking of the Titanic, the the opening of the Panama Canal, the start of World War One. America's entry into World War One, all the way through 1957. 1957 is the drop is the uh, launch of Sputnik. Now, some people are going to say, "Well, really, that timeline ends at 1945 with the dropping of the atomic bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and 1945 on starts the Atomic Age." I'm going to submit to you my hypothesis. <clears throat> 1945 through 1957, yes, is the atomic age. It is the ushering in of atomic energy and atomic power. However, it is not its own separate genre punk. It is part of the diesel punk timeline. And much like we consider deco punk you know, the, the, the retro-punk of the 20s and 30s, the Art Deco-focused punk, to be part of the diesel-punk timeline, atomic punk or atom punk is the, the back-end bookend of the diesel-punk era, the historic era. And so I submit that all deco-punk is diesel-punk, but not all diesel-punk is deco-punk in the same way that I would submit all atomic-punk or all atom-punk is diesel-punk, and all but all diesel-punk is not atom-punk. And here's my justification for that. Although, although Nagasaki and Hiroshima and the dropping of the atomic bomb was a huge technological advance, there wasn't the same kind of cultural shift. We didn't see the cultural shift until 1957. And what was the difference? Even though the atomic bomb was a, a huge step forward in technology, we'd seen technological leaps all through the diesel era. It was terrestrial. It was still confined to our blue ball in space. But once we broke the confines of gravity and ventured into outer space, the game changed. Because now it wasn't technology confined to our terrestrial realm. We could go to the stars. And at that moment, there was a cultural shift because now 
everything was possible. Nothing was impossible. We were on our way to the stars. And I'm going to submit to you that that was not the start of the atomic age. That was the start of the space race and the cyber information age. Cyberpunk is futuristic. I don't know what you call the era between 1957 to the present other than contemporary, maybe space punk, info punk. Ooh, I like info punk a lot. Um, I don't know that it really can be punk because it's not retro. I don't know. <clears throat> but my point is that we don't see that shift culturally planet-wide until 1957. And so I'm going to submit that Atom Punk is not its own thing. Atom Punk is part of Diesel Punk. But let me take this a step further. I'm going to say that the timeline really doesn't matter because it's really all about aesthetics. And I've seen some people online on Facebook recently kind of getting hung up with you know, calling something diesel punk if it's not actually set in the era, in the years that, you know, we establish as the historical timeline. And the historic timeline is just there as reference. The timeline informs the aesthetics, but something doesn't have to be set in that time to be considered diesel punk. And there are some great examples of diesel punk outside the historic timeline, and I'm going to submit that Shape of Water is one of them. And then there are other diesel punk stories and, and genres and, and mediums that we don't know when they were set, like Batman the Animated Series or Batman 1989 for that matter. It is contemporary diesel punk outside of the diesel era. Um... I would submit to you Dark City. We don't know. We don't know when that happened. It could be in the future. It could be in the past, during the era. We don't know because it doesn't matter. Uh, Legend of Korra, it's diesel punk straight up. But we don't know where in the timeline that fits. It could be in the far past. It could be in the far future. We don't know because it doesn't matter. What matters is that the aesthetics and the style is there. Because unlike, as I understand it, steampunk, s steampunk is kind of uh, identified as a genre where technology stopped progressing past the development of the steam engine. Style and aesthetics may have progressed or, or whatnot, but all technology is based on that steam engine. And while the same was kind of true with diesel punk in the early years, the genre has morphed quite a bit over the last five years especially. And now we look at it more from an aesthetic and a visual a style standpoint. And I would submit to you that diesel punk, the, the difference is that diesel punk, the aesthetics stopped. Fashion stopped moving forward. Music stopped moving forward. Technology continued to progress. And that's why we have future tech and we have ray guns and we have, uh, you know, cell phones and, and 
holovisors and floating cities and flying cars in the diesel punk genre. But the style is what remains constant and consistent. And so I'm going to submit to you that where a diesel punk story is set, what year it's set, really doesn't matter and it has no bearing on its definition or category as diesel punk. Yes, we draw inspiration from the, you know, from the the early from the mid nineteenth century, or mid twentieth century. Pardon my French. Uh, you know, the nineteen teens through nineteen fifty seven, which historically speaking is a very narrow window. When you're looking at steampunk, that's the hundred years before. We're talking about fifty to sixty years total for the diesel punk timeline. It's a very, very small sliver in American and world history. But ultimately, all that timeline does is inform the style and aesthetics. Where the year that the story is set in, the place it's set in, is irrelevant. And that applies to board games, video games, movies, books, any any storytelling genre as long as it has science fiction and fantasy of some form, it has the visual aesthetics of the era and style of the era, the, the feel of the era, and it has punk, counterculturalism, push against the status quo, celebration of the anti-hero, then it qualifies as diesel punk. I hope that clears some things up for some folks. And I would love to hear your comments about my assessment of what is diesel punk and the movies that you didn't know are diesel punk. You can send me an email directly at bigdaddycool at bigdaddycoolshows.com. While we're talking about that, go to bigdaddycoolshows.com. Find out where you can see me live next and read my book, Big Daddy Cool, uh, The Adventures of Big Daddy Cool and the Bombshell Kittens. It's Tales from the Flipside. Uh, from Pro Se Press, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, wherever books are sold. And, of course, if you like the show and you like the product that I'm producing here on the Diesel Punk Podcast or as a solo podcaster on Tales from the Flipside, drop us a tip in the digital tip jar at patreon.com slash shows, and that would be awesome. Visit our sponsor, Vault. Vault.io slash tales. That's V A L T dot IO slash T A L E S. Vault.io slash tales and register to win a $100 gift card. Well, guys and gals, that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell two, three hundred of your closest friends and family. Post a five star review on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave a good comment. And until the next time, swing hard, swing often. We'll catch you on the flip side.